0: It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app, or go to Anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network.
2: People Leo Phillips here with this must be the gig your backstage pass to the world of live music every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe we talk passion we talk first concerts insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time and everything in the juicy center Today, I'm delighted to bring you a conversation with Nigel Godrich and Laura Bettinson who, along with Joey Warrinker, comprise Altruista. But
3: it's all supposed to be completely surreal. It's not supposed to make any sense.
2: The trio have just released their much-anticipated, eight years to be exact, second album titled Sister, And along with this episode, you can head to the link in the pod description or travel over to Consequence of Sound to experience for yourselves the world premiere of a brand new short film by Al Trester. Oof, and the band's pedigree is nothing short of awe-inspiring. Nigel's history as a Grammy-winning engineer, producer, and musician includes two decades helping shape the era-defining records of Radiohead, Adams for Peace, and life-shifting music, rewiring our brains to unravel inside of the sound. Joey, meanwhile, the venerable veteran drummer, has toured and recorded with countless legendary acts including R.E.M., Elliot Smith, Beck, David Byrne, and also plays alongside Godrich and Tom York in Adams for Peace. Laura has long been lauded for her layered electropop as Femme. Now eight years since their debut album, Sister amplifies and strengthens their already assured electronic compositions, a poignant and passionate sci-fi soundtrack for the beautiful Absurdity of Life. It is a really moving piece of work, a twisting rhythmical journey with hi-fi production and kinetic turns and unexpected arrangements. With both sister and the accompanying film, the trio deftly walk a fine line between taut control and expansive exploration. And there are dogs. So I hopped on the phone with Nigel and Laura recently to discuss the origins of Sister. Unfortunately, this chat was actually scheduled to happen mid-March in New York City. But the remote conversation was just as wonderful. We spoke about the accompanying short film, their multiple dashed attempts at performing in the US and their first concerts, as well as what they miss about the outside world right now and so much more. Let us not be delayed. This is me, Nigel and Laura. Enjoy and take care of yourselves, please. (laughs)
4: had a fairly unproductive day last week was really productive i felt when we first kind of got stricter regulations i was like this is okay you know i'll just right. work on some new music and this will be great and make the most of my time at home and then this week for some reason just today i'm just like "Ugh, fuck <laughs> right and now the week for, you
2: know?
4: this
2: yeah, yeah just like lost my mojo a bit today so i've been painting instead of making any music today sometimes it's hard to compartmentalize like how dire the situation is outside. But then when you like get stuck in, like I've been watching the film that you both created and your team created like the whole morning. And then I get, I get that momentary escape and then I'm back, you know, reading Twitter or something. It's like a dream. You feel like that as well.
3: I would say like being a creative in inverted commas, (laughs) all that means is that you don't, you know, you can have a lot of lions, voluntarily so you sort of have a different kind of way of uh, kind of orienting yourself in the world anyway i mean we get out of bed later than other people i think i do but um <laughs> generally what you're talking about is uh, the um the fact that it's like you kind of have this weird resetting of uh you you you, you start the day with an expectation and within 30 seconds you remember that this is not happening. <laughs> right. And I think we've had some really amazing weather. And now today, it's just a bit grey and overcast. And I don't even know what day it is. I think it's Monday. I actually yeah. called Laura on Saturday. Because I thought this interview—well, <laughs> That's a true story. I thought this interview was on two days ago. Not because I thought it was... <laughs>
1: monday then
3: i just didn't know what day it
1: was i just knew that (laughs) i I knew that i had an interview
3: (laughs) oh right well i just knew we had an interview at six o'clock so i just oh my god you know i just forgot that there were days i just (laughs) thought all days were the same day so i just thought it was at six o'clock
2: as three we're going to do a live audience interview talking about the film talking about the new album
3: yeah i mean it became pretty clear that we weren't able to do our little promo trip just it was just when things were kicking off so it's good that we didn't come because we would have got stuck
2: somewhere did you talk about that like the what if scenario like how much did your brain go down that route when the album came out when was that a few weeks back um we just finished a really
4: couple of intense weeks with joey we were rehearsing we played a couple of little show like little tiny private kind of uh, press shows and uh and we were just, I think I i was certainly just relieved that we managed to just get him here, get all that out of the way for at least for our like UK kind of team and, and press and things like that before it all really kicked into gear because we would have been so, uh, like it, the whole thing would have been derailed had it just even been a week later. Um, Joey wouldn't have been able to make it. We wouldn't have been able to do any of the things we planned. You know, oh, would've, He
3: would have been stuck here. <laughs> yeah,
4: it would have completely um, have like put up a big quite a big spanner in the works of getting this record out.
2: Before the first show in the US, you had to head back to the UK. Wasn't Joey's son going to be born or was born or something? Yeah, that yeah. was back in 2012.
4: So when we were promoting our first album, we had a little run of like US dates booked. It was, you know, about ten dates or something across America, North America, and um we were at the soundcheck for our first uh, ever show in, in in philadelphia wasn't it i think i think it was philadelphia one little hit on his snare drum and then got a call from his wife and she was going into labor and like six weeks kind of prematurely so he had to get on a plane back to la and and then me and nigel were just we're, we're all kind of <laughs> dumbfounded for a couple of days and then we managed to get our stuff together and me and nigel went to tokyo to uh to perform as a duo for the first and last time we'll probably ever do that <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> the greatest duo you never saw.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: You know, Joe's a very kind of kinetic person in terms of yeah. uh, performer and stuff. He's somebody that yeah. you want to. You sort of tend to rely on having that person on stage, and suddenly not having that person on stage, it changed the 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 um, whole thing. So, I mean, we did it though. I mean, I really that is definitely one of the two moments in my life where I, literally. That 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 moment before the curtains opened, when we were getting ready to do that show in front of ten thousand people in Japan, with just Laura and I, and I we heard the computer f- failing because it had this thing <laughs> it kept on doing. It had this like really bad uh-huh. habit where it wouldn't it would do this thing and not work properly, and I heard it happen, and I, I just I just said, "Beam me up." <laughs> it's not happening. Um. Yeah. But. We got through it, and I'm very proud of us. There's even pictures to prove it. Wait,
2: is there a video? Is there a YouTube no, no. video? Oh, no. I... No, they
3: didn't have, didn't have videos in 2012.
2: Then the next time you were slated to come to the U.S., Hurricane Sandy hit. We
3: had to do a TV. You had to do David Letterman with the crew in the TV studio had been sleeping in the theater for three days because they couldn't go home because the whole of Manhattan was locked down. Oh, there was no power God. south of 20th Street. Um, it was quite surreal, wasn't it, Laura?
4: Yep, that's another one. Yeah, I mean, we did warn people at the beginning of this album campaign, you know, (laughs) not coming to the city near you because we do have a habit of uh, (laughs) of catastrophe following us around and epic proportions this time.
3: Yeah, yeah, this is a good one,
4: right? Yeah, I don't think we should make a third record, basically. No,
2: No, please, please do. Um, This is a petition. Please, please do. (laughs) I just don't think you need to put any tour dates to the US on your list and then you just think, hey... We're just here. show up. Yeah, just show up.
3: Not give them a chance to get a plague of frogs together exactly, or anything.
2: Exactly, exactly. When I went for a little walk, I was just wondering like, what I would want to be doing right now if I wasn't in isolation, which I feel as a person who I've worked from home for like over a decade and I feel isolated when I work anyway. So it yeah, doesn't yeah. feel very unfamiliar to me, but it's
3: more like just social, social thing. You're going out to right. like a nice meal or like to be able to go yeah. home and just be around other people. Isn't it? I mean, that's the thing that's missing now because so, we're the same. I mean, we essentially, the people I know who work in, who are musicians generally, we all work in isolation anyway. I mean, we're yeah. all in all very, very small groups. So, um, People can actually keep getting on, keep on with work as long as they can keep their perspective vis-a-vis Laura this morning getting depressed.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I think it's just the unending kind of nature of it right now that's just like bogging people down. It's like we don't really know when you'll get to see all your friends again, you know, and the idea of it being strung out for, you know, six months is just like, whoa. Yeah. That's going to be mad. Um, so hopefully It, it is. Very strange.
3: I, feel I, 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 I worry that after six months of doing this, people are just going to be so weird about social interaction. Right. And, yes. <laughs> right. That's
2: yeah. such a good
3: point. No, I'm worried. I'm worried that people will never, you know, people are going to be more suspicious of each other's vapor than ever before.
1: No, yeah. You know,
3: somebody, I, there's, there's def- I asked people this and there's definitely two camps. Some people think that, after this is over, people are just going to want to, it's going to be like a new summer of love and everyone's want to take their clothes off and like smear each other, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think if it's long enough, if we're apart for long enough, it may become the new normal. And, you know, it's so strange how the way that coronavirus, the information is disseminated, you know, perfectly as a, as a parallel of, you know, the way that social media is the way that people access their information. Now is that somehow social media is like morphing into our main form of social interaction. Yeah. You know, and maybe that is never going to, tra- you know, this is how we, we took a leap into the future and maybe we're going to be stuck there. You know, it's quite weird, scary.
2: Other than the social aspect, is there something about yourselves that you must, like just the way that you work or the way that you look at the world? Like, is there anything that you aren't able to kind of tap into right now?
3: Well, the weird thing is I have a new baby. And so oh, wow. what's happened is that I'm stuck inside with my new baby, which has just been, Really great. So um I'm actually finding that kind of a, a part, a part of it. I'm I'm surprised at how relaxed I am. I mean, I'll admit, I agree with Laura. It's today's a bit weird, but it's been actually quite nice to to have to stop
4: for just today. Say last week was very productive. I got lots of work done last week. <laughs> just today, it's like the idea of sitting down and making bloody Wednesdays. Kind of yeah, just the same process that I've had forever. It's just like it seems just like. You know, sometimes you just feel like, ugh. There's so much, like, you know, sometimes music, you just feel like, you know, it's a privilege to be able to make music every day, but then you think, fuck, all the fucking serious other jobs out there that people are, like, doing, and you're just sat here coming up with another fucking beat or, like, some shitty pop-up, and you're like, my God, what am I doing? Um, right. So, so you're, you're, you're self-loathing, <laughs> that's what you're... Yeah, and it just feels like... Um, like the record has been like of great comfort to a lot of people. And, and a lot of people have spent some time with it while they have been indoors um, finding their way through it, which is, uh which is obviously amazing. It's like, it's great to get feedback like that. Um
2: Why did you find yourselves making it now and releasing it now? What was that? um What was that sense of urgency for you?
3: Well, the thing is, it, no, I mean, the thing is, I think Laura might agree with this is that, you know, there she is left to her own devices, you know, and me the same, is generally what we do is we we just make things, you know, we make bits of music or we make whatever, you know, she's drawing now or she's painting, whatever it is that she's doing. Or I think that just as human beings, we're compelled to sort of, you know, just create things and express ourselves through these things. And sometimes they're for ourselves and sometimes they're for other people. And I think that what happened was that we spent a lot of time just, noodling around with something that was just for ourselves and then at some point realized that in order to kind of really justify its existence we should probably finish it as present it as a as a piece of work and um that is the record you know so really there was a lot of time where it wasn't it was it was kind of sat around and got picked up put down again and then a couple of years ago it was like okay we need to you know that that urgency that you speak of <laughs> kicked in very gently.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the short film cuz obviously we're going to be premiering it today. I can say very that exciting. it'll be on Wednesday.
3: Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Every every day is Wednesday. Every I day mean. is Wednesday. <laughs> It was Wednesday, two days ago.
2: So when was it all filmed? How long did it take you? And also, congratulations on your baby. I didn't get a chance to take that idea. <laughs> so tell me all about the film.
4: Well, the concept for the film was um, birthed, if you like, very about two, 18 months, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for a long time, like with our first record, we were kind of making the videos. Nigel had... A lot of ideas that he'd been wanting to try in terms of visual ideas and a lot of equipment and things like that that we had set up at the same time as finishing the actual audio for the record. So we were doing both things at the same time. Oh. Uh, that didn't quite happen in the same process for this record, but we knew we wanted to make a leap visually. Like we didn't want to just repeat what we'd done before using the same gear and and like treading like the path that we'd done before. We wanted to take it somewhere else. And it took us quite a while to figure out what that was going to be um and then Nigel and I sat down and had dinner one night and came up with this kind of idea between us of like a, a strange kind of surreal little day in the life around London um and uh much of it was filmed just me Nigel and and one, of the, one other person our friend Pippa carrying the bags um in like the dead of The early mornings in London and, say, late evenings and, you know, me freezing my arse off in not very much clothes in the middle of February. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, and it took a while to film, but we just snatched time, much like how we made the record. We just snatched bits of time when we could.
3: What we were trying to think of when we sat down, because we had such a wealth of visual, of video content before for the last record to just mine to use for promotional stuff and use for the live show. What we were trying to think of was some kind of overreaching arc thing that we could just use as a, as a sort of bridge to, to dip in and pick out images and photos and stills and just something that would be the kind of promotional tool for the whole record that would like, felt like it was part of something sewn into the whole album. And so, so the idea was to create uh, yeah, like this day in the life thing, which was sort of predominantly based around Around colour and uh, the tube line, the, the the London Underground, which I'm just obsessed with, and which is denominated by colours. You know, different lines are domin- denominated by different colours. And actually, if you pay close attention, you'll see that Laura gets on and off in different colours depending on what line she's on. Yes. And uh, actually, does like a real journey around London, except for one tiny little place that we had to cheat. Um. And uh, yeah. And the whole idea is that it generates all these. St- that every time she goes somewhere she enters a different, has a different vignette, like a small sort of like mini video within the video. So each song has like a different kind of like a mini video within it that then is something that stands up on its own that we can use. Um, so it was really fun. I mean, it was really like one of those stupid, like all arching, like over-ambitious ideas that took forever to do. But um, man, it feels good when you actually finish those things.
2: <laughs> Just when I was watching it, like the film's ability to bounce like back and forth from this kinetic energy to these like almost still life moments from extreme close-ups to really wide screen i felt it was very much it was very intimate weirdly and you were laura you were in this you know city that is so loud and so busy but i felt like using the use of the colors and the storytelling and then matching that up and syncing it with the music those certain choices were so smart like there was so much into there was so much closeness and warmth. Mm. Maybe that's because of the dogs. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's some amazing dog moments that you know. H- <laughs> how did the colors fit the mood of the dog? Like, how did you decide? Right, I'm gonna have a husky or like a dachshund. You know what I mean with the with the blue? Or how did you link that up? And then, and then I suppose like how did you make sure that the music fit that mood as well?
4: Honestly, the in terms of casting the dogs, it was who do we know that has a dog okay. <laughs> won't mind us stealing it for a day, and we knew we wanted different sizes and different breeds, but it wasn't as specific as we want a, you know, a husky for the blue outfit or anything like that. It was really just like what who can we grab and cast um, on the day. Um, but like going back to you said that the film feels intimate, and um, and I think a lot of that is down to the fact that it really has just been made by us agreed it wasn't like 10 people or even like 20 30 40 people on set like making and it wasn't you know it was all styled by me I did my own makeup you know Nigel shot the whole thing he edited it um it was all you know just our our effort and our energy and I think that's probably it is really DIY and it is kind of yeah places but like it has when you make things On your own with, and you make all the creative decisions as an artist. Like it really lends stuff like an authenticity that and a charm that you you don't really get when sometimes when you're like you let other bigger kind of professional hands on things. Um, Mm. I'm not sure it would have worked as well. We would have needed a fuck ton of money to do it. Like yeah, it just (laughs) wouldn't have been (laughs) possible.
0: It wouldn't have been possible. Pause Pause the the podcast. podcast.
2: It is time to step away just momentarily from the conversation with Nigel and with Laura from Altrester, very, very briefly to share a little something that engineer Adam and I like to call the live, live show of, of the, the week. week. Whoa!
0: I hit the high note. For we that have one. a
2: lot of energy now.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, what do we do here on the live show of the week? Especially since nobody can actually go and see. I know. Any now live that shows. live
0: shows have taken on a completely different meaning, we've mm-hmm. decided to instead highlight events that you can stream from your home. So you're social distancing, you're being very good. Nice
2: and slobby because you can just sit.
0: Yes, absolutely. You're you're being being good citizens and really making a difference by being in your home. So thank you. And as a reward, you get a little special treat of a live concert streamed right to your home.
2: weirdly, I don't know about you, but I've become kind of comfortable in watching live shows from my the inside of my home. It yes. is nothing no, like agreed. the real thing. Absolutely. I also don't like calling them live performances. I wish people would call them something else, like hmm. that they're just yeah. streaming right. experimental in-home sessions.
0: Right. So it's not seen as something that's a replacement. It's right. just a different thing completely. Because it can't be. Because I wasn't watching any it. any live. Uh, I wasn't watching any streamed performances yeah. prior to this lockdown that we're undergoing. But now I'm just like, yeah, I'll ah. tune in all the time.
2: I mean, we would watch like old footage. Yes, but I was not like concerts. appointment
0: viewing, like that you know? uh, health. Oh, um well, set yeah. from
2: Pitchfork. That's Pitchfork. that's
0: that's been a, a, regular <laughs> a regular spinning on on the uh, old TVs here mm-hmm. at the studio, but
2: and any zero uh, seven uh, Ooh. old London shows
0: do you have plans for the rest of the evening
2: i'm gonna watch
0: yeah okay good good
2: (laughs) oh wait no we have lots of plans oh yes this is a little suggestion box yes absolutely moment is a suggestion is a suggestion box for everybody and on all the things that are happening there's so much that we are now obviously this is a perfect time for this level of uncertainty to stop and slow down But weirdly, I feel like everyone feels exhausted because there's so much to do and we're constantly on our phones. It's not like we're
0: not working either.
2: No. So I think that's why the live show of the week is now aimed just to highlight what we would like you to watch with us. (laughs) And then let (laughs) us know. Yeah, tune
0: in with us. This week's live show is at 3 p.m. today. If you're listening to this as it drops on April 1st. Eastern. time. Which
2: is 2 Central... Which is, see, uh, uh, oh, five, six, UK time. Is it 11 and or is it
0: noon in California? Is it is it three hours? Two hours two
2: behind, o- so it would be noon. Yeah. Phew. We
0: got we <laughs> got, <laughs> got several clock, bases covered. The hands
2: of time <laughs> they shout.
0: Tune in with us. We'll be watching an incredible duo performance from Bella Fleck and Tumani Diabate, which uh, is a great pairing. Mm. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. goes great Let's together.
2: Put, what? Yeah, trust me, it does. Uh, <laughs> that does not go together. It does, They too. do, though. They they do. Well, what is a... it? Give us a little uh, brief for people that might yes. not be yes, 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 familiar. Yes.
0: So, as a primer, Bella Fleck is this legend in the world of bluegrass, jazz fusion, experimental music. He is... Uh, one of the greatest banjo players of all time, according mm-hmm. to many. Let's say that. He was a member of New Grass Revival, and he leads his own band called The Flecktones. One of my very first concerts was Bella Fleck and The Flecktones. Really? Absolutely it was.
2: Do they know this?
0: Does Bella know this? <laughs> yeah. Jeff Coffin probably Wait, knows it. Yeah, have Future we, Man might know it. Have
2: we spoken about this? Victor
0: Wooten might know uh, it. Now I'm just naming members the, of, of The Flecktones. The yeah, they might know.
2: Wait, that was one of your your first concerts? It was, yeah. In Chicago?
0: Yes, it was, I believe, at the Auditorium Theatre, but I could be wrong. (sighs) I believe I also saw them at the Old Town School of Folk Music.
2: Uh Aha! A a mere 20-minute walk from From our home studio. the glorious studio. (laughs) Uh,
0: Timani Diabate, meanwhile, is a master of the kora, which is a 21-stringed instrument used traditionally in Malian music.
2: And yeah, a legend and collaborator with jazz hero Roswell Rudd, to everyone's beloved Bjork, Diabate is also a powerful advocate for peace in Mali, and the duo will be performing partnership with the World Health Organization, the a site that we have told you to go to numerous times over the last few weeks Get to your sift facts. out all your things.
0: Get your facts.
2: Also, don't like even if something is positive and untrue, don't share it. Today's April Fool's Day. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Don't be a fool. Oh, God, I didn't think about that until now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. It's the worst day ever. Uh, Don't be a fool. Read The Room. So they have partnered with the World Health Organization, WHO, and Global Citizen, Bella is in Nashville and Tamani is in Abidjan in the Ivory Coast. And together they'll be discussing their recent album, The Ripple Effect. And also really exciting news. They'll be taking fan questions, which I think is feels It's a
0: pleasant surprise. Yes. You don't expect legends of that no. magnitude to be like, oh, yes, Lior.
2: <laughs> no, exactly. Why? Do you think I'm going to send in questions? <laughs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely I am. And I'm then we're going to record
0: audio of it and make it the bonus a episode bonus of the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, Let us not do that. But we can definitely offer you a suggestion for a virtual sound bath, which I'm sure it's going Ooh, to feel yes, like. Yes, But yes, it'll yes. be your mid-afternoon, early evening. Get in there. Watch Supercharge it. Supercharge
0: your evening with this mm-hmm. lovely experience. And to tune into it, mm-hmm. be sure to head to Bella's Facebook page at facebook.com slash Bella Fleck Banjo, B-E-L-A-F-L-E-C-K-B-A-N-J-O.
2: And if there's anything else that you guys are watching this week, or what else you're doing, what are you doing to keep creatively fueled? What are you doing to just slow down? What are you not doing? Just let us know in this uh, time. Obviously, the last few weeks have been an amazing exploration for Ooh, us yes. in terms of chatting to Zola Jesus, Tunika, and Jacob Collier about what they are doing right now. Absolutely. And obviously, this exact conversation which we're going to get back to momentarily discusses the same idea
0: it's all about finding priorities and finding your heart and your creative passion even when things are going wrong
2: right and also if you don't feel like doing any of that that's also okay absolutely so you don't need to do anything you can just sit stare at you i did it for 20 minutes yesterday (laughs) let us return to this week's interview back to me and laura and nigel enjoy
3: we love doing things like this and this is you know as well as making the music which is what we do essentially because we love doing it we love making projects like this so it's like that that's the reason for the existence of ultraista really is for us a vehicle for us to be able to hang things like this on it and um so it's just it's just yeah it's super diy because i don't want somebody else to shoot it because i want to shoot it you know maybe it's like it's fun I want to do that you know so why why not shut up and actually do so that's what we did you know and and Laura's brilliant at like she said her skills are amazing in front of the camera and like you know we we can we, we could we're just sort of like there's a real kind of I don't know we have a lot of fun together there's a real camaraderie about it I feel like and a lot of trust. I mean, she, you know, she's very trusting and...
4: Or foolish, depending on which way you look at it.
3: I think very... Oh, <laughs> you you've never didn't been didn't say
4: her. that. Yeah. Not physically hurt. <laughs> no, no, but I'm I mean, the thing is... But,
3: but the truth is, you do you do actually create something that would be impossible to make otherwise. I mean, it really is yeah. literally, we made it. I mean, we made the record, we made the videos. It's like, that's what... That's what's what it's all about.
2: How much did it switch your both of your perspectives of the music that you had made when you started putting that visual component? I don't think
3: it changes the way that you see the music. I think that um, they are little pieces that are conceived as things that go with particular, like colours that go with a particular song or like an idea that goes with a particular song, but they're not like traditional videos. You know, they're not like in themselves. The, little, the, the whole thing is chronological, but the little pieces don't have well i suppose they do i don't know it's 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 not like that it's it's just a vignette is the really is the right way to describe the little pieces because they're just supposed to be little kind of doodles really you know and the whole thing is supposed to give you some insight into the people who are involved in the the making of the music but it's all supposed to be completely surreal it's not supposed to make any sense or have any relation to the actual songs themselves really
2: was there a scene or a moment that was particularly interesting to shoot i mean other than the logistics of it which i don't know um how difficult that was um like was there a
3: (laughs) (laughs) somewhat harder than others
4: probably anybody video was probably the most exhausting to shoot just because the studio was freezing and we didn't have that long to shoot it and so we were just uh we were there like you know and that's um that's that was a it was a fun video and i think it's one of the ones that's turned out the best from the from the whole thing is a standout image like visual for me but um i remember being not very comfortable (laughs) shooting it um but then when we went to to the very first things you see after i'm sat up on primrose hill that was shot at like five in the morning, four thirty, which yeah. meant would have meant I'd had to have left my house at like four in the morning right. <laughs> to get there. Um and it was freezing. We were shooting it in like January. I mean I have a big coat on um but uh yeah uh, you know we we so we you know cool. we went yeah. all out didn't we? Yeah.
3: But that was that that was the, the the thing the point is and I don't know if it comes across, but that is in real time. Like, you know, you see the sun come up and you see I get up and walk down the hill and then get into the at Chalk Farm which is a black line mm-hmm. um and she uh, uh yeah we get on the tube we we did it at that time because we want to get the sunrise but also i just wanted to sort of you know the, it was the first thing that we shot and also getting on the tube without anybody around just to see if we could you know how it was just to film on the tube and then i think as we kind of went forward by the end of it we just didn't give a shit anymore so we kind of <laughs> yeah. get on the tube with our camera and nobody it's like fuck it you know we you start off being a up. little bit yeah because it was like, okay, we need to finish this. Right. You know, there's this like list of things that we have to get done, so by the end, but actually it's true, it's, it's still correct because the last time she gets on the tube to leave, it's late at night and she goes back out the hill. Mm. and uh the people that are on the tube are on the tube you know every time it's it's all it's all sort of I mean in a way as well I have a sort of weird kind of fetish about like documentaries about London Underground but I have a lot of like sort of films of the tube from a long time ago and it's just interesting seeing people sat there what people look like you know these trains are essentially the same but people change over time and I sort of felt quite pleased that we were creating again another snapshot of what the London Underground was like, you know, in, in 2018, 2019, you know. Um, maybe it will never be like that ever again. It'll always be. Right. That it's going to be empty forever. we well, um, you know, got
2: masks on. From everyone right will on always out. have
3: masks oh, on. God. It's like free mask. <laughs> yeah,
2: What it looks like.
3: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But um, anyway, yeah, so there was that aspect to it as well. It was the, the whole kind of London Underground obsession thing. And then uh, so that, 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 that in terms of the day, the chronology of the day, that's, that's true. She starts off at five in the morning and we end up there, back up there at like 11 o'clock at night. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think poor Laura went through a lot, <laughs> She had to, some environmental hazards and, um, you know, probably, probably, uh, yeah, some personal damage at some point. <laughs> I think the doors were really interesting. The doors were a really fun thing to shoot because it, it, it's like when you set up a technical, you know, it's just a presumptive, it's like you set up a, a, a scenario and it's like, okay, we can do anything with this. Like I knew that I could create that thing where, you know, when you walk out of one door and you walk into another, you walk back in the first door. The idea was that you're opening the, the, uh, the second door and the first door is opening as if you were walking in a loop mm-hmm. and then you can sit back and just think about all the things that you can do with that to play with that idea and things like that are really, really fun. And, um, you know bordering on sort of ludicrous really and it's it's definitely like sort of harking back to kind of silent era very basic technical photographic um techniques of making these impossible things happening you know george melier or you know whatever uh you know the the, the kind of stars of uh, Chaplin, or you know i don't know like all those kind of things so those, sort of, those are the most fun things to do. And that was the idea. Or like doing a really simple stop motion thing. I mean, I didn't know how well it would turn out and it, seemed, and it worked really well. Or, you know, the stuff about the face, like painting, the, like dressing the face. It's like that's, there's a surreal film that I saw once that did a bit, a bit of that, which gave me that idea. And, and then also and the strobe stuff, it, like the cover, so for example, like the cover of the album is a photograph that I took you know, oh, really? because I knew, yeah, I took that yeah. photo because I knew that was exactly what I wanted it to look like. Oh. <laughs> so it's so one of those things where I'm like, Oh, I want to do that. So I did it. And, and in, in that way, we've got so much good, it, it's based on uh, you know, one of my favorite photographers, this American guy called John Milley. Okay. I don't even know how to pronounce it. He's a Hungarian American guy. And he, he did a lot of, um, in camera strobe shots of, um, ballerinas and jazz musicians in the 50s and some very famous pictures of Picasso that are all just incredible. They look so beautiful. And it's it's very much, it's that kind of a picture. But in that way, then <clears throat> I sort of think about strobes and think that we could like make a video with this technique. You know, how can we make this happen? But it'd be moving and that sort of, you know, with experimentations come up with that last video. It's just like, it's like it's stuff like that. It's fun. I just love doing it.
2: Is that the video, the Ten thai- the King...
3: Yeah, that part.
2: Okay. I mean, that made me feel. Have you. Would you remember the Madonna? Uh, ray of light. Ray of
3: Somebody lights. else said, Yeah, I did, did think about that. I think Ray of Light is just sped up, isn't it? And the thing about that is, it's, oh, it's not so sped different,
2: up. right? Mm. No, it's so different. <clears> it's but just... I understand. It's
3: just more like the perspective, isn't it?
2: Well, I also think that there's a lack of that now. It's not really something that I think it's something that people should explore more to have the main that vignette that you were talking about to have the main mm. subject right in the center. It's almost reminded me of like I don't know. Do you remember that really old Massive Attack video for Unfinished? Yeah, Unfinished sympathy. sympathy. Yeah. I could...
3: I can't um, remember the video from that. And she's, she's, like, yeah. she's
2: just walking down the street singing to the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. And she's the focal point, that. but she's, again, it's that sense of warmth and intimacy that really yeah. you both tapped into which I thought was just really wonderful.
3: I mean, I think the thing there was like, a there's been a real, you know, legacy of music videos. It's still something that I feel compelled to want to do. And I think it's something that we both wanted to sort of create something like that. And it was Mm. great. It was like that thing where we sat down, like Laura said, we just had dinner and we, we just sort of thought, well, let's, let's make a short film Mm. and then how do we do it? And I, you know, the vehicle for like all the shorter pieces and it just sort of made a lot of sense. So we just wrote it all down and then went away and, you know, filled in the blanks. And yeah, it took a little bit of time.
2: All three of you, Joey included, have such specific personalities and histories and just even talking to the two of you, you know, and, and I, was there ever a conversation about having one person's voice or characteristics um, that you wanted to bring it to light, maybe on the record or during the film? Like how much did you discuss that sense of, you know, how are we going to put forward our voices to make sure that we're all getting heard and like how does that process work with collaboration with the three of you? I mean we don't, we really don't
4: discuss it, it do
2: <laughs> right Right, we don't
4: it's um no there's very little discussion when we're making this stuff to be honest um say so a lot of the certainly a lot of the music the bare bones of it the very initial seeds of it are, are born out of improvisation so in that setting like naturally you're all having your own say you know because you're contributing something that's never you've never come up with before you know it's like it's something you've just thought of in that moment so I think from the very beginnings of making the music we all have our you know ourselves in there from the very start and then uh Really, uh, this record was made over such a long time and Nigel certainly spent a lot of time on his own with this record, revisiting it and and hacking away at it while me and Joey were blissfully kind of unaware and getting on with other stuff, Um, you know, in the meantime. um, But, um, yeah, we never really – I don't think we ever really have to have that conversation, to be honest, because I think um, the elements – that you hear and and also certainly see, like it's, you can see the space for everybody, you know, Um, I think,
3: you know, music is a particular art form that you can interact with other people. In fact, it's a very, it's very much the basis, you know, I mean, you can make music on your own, but music with a band, you know, music with a bunch of people, it's the way people communicating and sort of throwing things up in the air. It's, it's the foundation of, of every musician's sort of, of what they do. I mean, you can't all paint a picture together, you know. I mean, it's too difficult because you just get in each other's way. Or, But um, so when we say we don't have to have that conversation, I think the thing is that what you do is you generally find people that you try and play with, and if it goes well, then it goes well. You don't sort of have a conversation about what you're going to do. What I can say is that, you know, I've known Joey for so long that we just actually don't need to, you know, we have a very good communication anyway verbally, but we don't need to, you know, we've played together quite a lot so that's really easy and the whole point of getting laura involved was the fact that what she does is very compatible with the kind of elements of what we do like like she's saying there's room for everybody's what everybody does uh so yeah i don't know it's it's just like not really necessary to really sort of intellectualize right it in a way it's sort of right. you know we just do our thing and then we and then it's about like trying to find chords and melodies and words and sticking it all together and then beyond that i don't really know how it works we actually had a, a setup live where joey and laura and i could stand there and i could make musical loops and she could make vocal loops and joey could play along and we could record the whole thing so that was a way of like instantly making music in the air mm-hmm. that sort of then a few of those sometimes things will really kind of develop and blossom and a few of those magical moments um are the basis of some of the songs on the record and that that's like a that, that's like that, that's a good way of starting. And um, beyond that, it's about just sitting down with a piece of paper and just a metaphorical piece of paper. Of course, we're talking about a computer here, <laughs> and um, some or. Jamming.
2: I mean, I, I think it's fascinating, especially because performance is definitely something that's uh for both of you. What I'm interested in as well. Do you remember the first time the two of you performed together? Do you remember that very <laughs> first time? Other than obviously the Japan episode, but w- I would I would probably say
3: that Japan was the first. <laughs> was it? I, I'm not. A, I'm no. No, I'm just saying, like, sort of on a deeper level. I'm not okay. a performer. That's not my thing. You know, Laura is so you know, um, that whole thing is quite alien to me, but I enjoy it, but it's just not something that I ever sort of naturally ever did. Laura as much more of a background and experience than me.
4: I'm trying to think, what was the first ever gig we played? It was in L.A. Um, way back, we threw this little party in what used to be a place where they grew weed, we later found out. It was like a massive greenhouse <laughs> in um, in L.A. somewhere. You'll probably remember where it was, Nigel. Um, Eagle Rock. And yeah, and we just did it, again, in a very DIY fashion. We just threw a party for our friends there. And, uh, I mean, I don't ever remember being... I've always felt very secure on stage with Nigel and Joey. Um, you know. And I guess when it comes to the stage, certainly that is one area where so I have a bit, possibly a little bit more experience than, uh, than Nigel. But, you know, there's very few areas in this project where I have more experience than, uh, than Nigel, obviously. <laughs> um,
3: so, oh, please. Quite nice. <laughs>
4: quite nice. Um, and uh but no, there's always, you know, I've never felt uh at all intimidated by that. It's all you know, it's actually quite a privilege to be able to step out on stage um with two friends who are also very, very, very talented and obviously the best at what they do. So that's always is is a pleasure.
3: The thing is as well, I, I'm not used to it. it really isn't what I ever set out to do when I was younger. You know, I always sure, wanted to sure. just be a um the guy in the laboratory in the middle of the night who's left alone and that's sort of where I that's when I'm at my best to be honest um and um the, uh, the chance to do shows and stuff I mean you know now I've done a lot more stuff although with different kinds of things it's, it's been really like a sort of late I've been a late comer to that and I've really really enjoyed it actually um just by chance but and I think that's just because I sort of managed to kind of bypass the really really terrible times you know i've never played in a pub to one person or have i maybe
2: laura you wound up playing glastonbury i think i, I read it somewhere like in <laughs> oh two thousand yeah. when was yeah, it, it was ten year, 2008 or 2009 i think i read i don't know if that's accurate. Yeah. i mean that's a massive massive stage and obviously just watching you perform i've never had the chance to see you live but uh, what was that like for you to take something that is quite a private experience and then go onto such a massive platform like a Glastonbury I've got to say in my
4: you know how what year are we in 2020 you know so like professionally been in the music industry since then probably 2009 so you know 11 years of being in the industry like Thank I've learned God. to kind
2: of yeah.
4: ride the uh, the waves of of you know the industry like you know you can have (laughs) mega mega highs but then there's also like moments where there's nothing going on and you figure your shit out and and then suddenly it all comes along again you know and and right now is one of those moments where there's lots of momentum around lots of different projects that I'm involved in it's super exciting but you know this will fade as well
3: the truth of it is that basically if you engage with that experience you get a lot more out of it than if you don't engage with it so you can do terrifying things and not be afraid of them because you're not really present but then you don't get the benefits of actually having been there and experienced them so you know my experience of going on stage is as your confidence grows you are more able to just relax but when you were really really afraid you were far more kind of engaged yeah i mean i'm always impressed by people who can get up and put themselves out there on stage like really make yourself vulnerable and that is the definition of a good performance isn't it that's something that's worth watching
2: do you remember the very first concert that you went to yeah well
4: i say grew up in like a village outside of rugby in the midlands in the uk and not a lot awful lot went on there um but certainly when i was growing up there was quite a healthy like local scene and bands would come through and I have an older sister who's a few years older than me, so she would, like, go to shows and take me with her and, you know, get me an underage. So, in all honesty, I didn't really see any, like, big-name bands ever growing up, because my mum and dad weren't gig-goers. Like, my dad was a theatre director, so I spent ah. a lot of my... All holidays in a dark theatre you know watching him rehearse these shows I actually didn't really grow, even grow up around that much music so um yeah it probably wasn't until I was in London where I actually started to kind of seek out like you know more well-known bands and, and see kind of more professional concerts but yeah the whole entirety of my adolescence was stuck in this um club in London uh, in sorry in rugby called O'Hagan's yeah. which was a shitty gothy rock <laughs> club and like watching crap emo bands that you're in love with because you fancy the guitar player or that kind of thing, you know. So I don't specifically remember my first ever concert, but I've certainly seen a fair few shitty emo bands. Then
2: It's just coming from a theatrical point of view, which I really think is quite fascinating, that that's what your family, well, your dad was involved in. Because obviously a lot of that can be used to perform music as well. Like I think both of those lines are very blurred between hmm. a theatrical performance and a musical performance as well when you did land up seeing bigger names or you know more identifiable kind of characters on stage was there anyone that really resonated with you in terms of how they performed
4: um absolutely i mean i've always been a huge fan of like massive overblown female voices so you know you're um Shirley Bassey's and Dusty Springfield's and uh, you know just those kind of a lot of 60s voices that um I kind of you know would just be in awe of a lot of the time um, when I was listening to those records and I'd watch you know say when I was a student certainly stay up on YouTube and just like go down the rabbit hole yeah. of uh, uh, starting at Bjork and ending up somewhere at Dusty Springfield in between kind of Sinead O'Connor yeah. and other uh, places in between so um they've certainly I guess uh, we'll say my music my dad's like musical theatre career was um was he was you know very successful in that world but it was like old icons you know Buddy Holly and and Al Mm Jolson and Elvis and things like that so um yeah I guess I was quite kind of fascinated by like 60s music television I guess and that experience Mm -hmm. of just watching the shows that he put on would send me down that rabbit hole and and I guess that was that would, yeah, that certainly influenced my approach to my own performance in terms of it was quite camp and it was quite overblown. And and the stage performance certainly for my own solo project was always very considered. You know, it was very choreographed, and and that's what I loved about um, pop music. And um, harking way back from you know the fifties and sixties, is it's all so choreographed and considered um, a lot of the time. Um, so that was certainly an influence on me. But when it comes to this project I'd probably say that um like Ultrista for me and the voice I bring to that is its own entire thing um you know and I do flip into a different voice and headspace when I approach songs as Ultrista and even when people like other DJs ask me now having heard Ultrista and they're like oh can you vocal this for me can you vocal that for me like it's a conscious space i step into ah, when i know that's the voice they want you know it's like okay and i guess i've always yeah i like writing music in different characters i suppose and, and altrista has you know it's an honest voice uh, it's probably one of my more honest voices but it's certainly a space i have to like get my head into to approach that style
2: is it, is, I mean, does that make it then, like, I, I suppose the idea of, like, doing multiple things at once and stepping into a character, then it's focused and considered? Does that make it more... I don't know, enjoyable for you to tackle projects that way? Because obviously I find it yeah. quite fascinating to be able to do that.
4: Absolutely. And, and I would kind of liken it to, like, as a kid, I would, my mum and dad laugh about this even now, because my niece is quite similar, but, like, I would dress up in six different outfits a day. I've always enjoyed, oh. like, <laughs> making, like, reinvention and all my favourite pop-up, like, icon, you know, Prince and Madonna and all these people have always reinvented themselves, and I've been fascinated by that process in pop since forever. Um, you know, m- more so than the music is the visual kind of aesthetic of being able to build yourself like a super hero, almost. You know, like a, a you know it's an overblown version of yourself. And yes, there's authenticity and and your true personality in there, but it's like this super. I love the um, the possibilities that like um, the visual kind of pop side. Um, and the pop world kind of um can like lend to yourself as an artist you know you can step you can step in and out of different sides of your personality without being too confessional um and i've always enjoyed that and uh yeah like I, i would liken it to that you know it's like i have many plates spinning at all times lots of different genres i lend my voice to and um that i produce and so Oh, Trista is another side of my personality, really.
2: You've worked with so many different people and as a producer for so many legendary Radiohead albums and Beck, and looking at those people, they each are your performers, essentially. So do you feel like you approach that in a way where you have to take into account who this person is, what they need?
3: Every relationship is different. I mean, those each one of those things is a collaboration with a different personality. It's a very intimate relationship, and you do different things and f- feed off each other in different ways and find strengths and all those kind of things and then this is more this is completely different this is more of a this is like what we did when we were kids, and we went around to each other's houses and made music and just made stuff and so it is a different it's quite a different feeling uh i mean it, it's not none of it is professional you know it's all definitely kind of rooted in i mean it's professional and inverted commas but it's not it's it's just basically doing what you love i mean i feel very very fortunate to have worked with so many amazing talented people and been inspired by all these people who and then do good things with them and there's nothing there's nothing better than creating something knowing that knowing your um, contribution to something great with somebody else that's the most sort of uh rewarding experience that you can have in any from my point of view yeah and uh that that's not different here i mean you know it's like with with laura and joey it's like it's really really but it's it's just much more fun we're much more in control and um it's just it's it's less it's less sort of uh it's slightly less heavy or something i don't know i can't really explain it we don't have a you know there's no you know what i'm saying we're not like it's not imperative we just have done this because we wanted to mm. and um we found ourselves just as friends just working together and it just being a really enjoyable experience so that's really the kind of like and in that way it sort of creates something that's really nice because it is done out of just out of the sheer fuck of doing it. You know, it's not like a, you know we got the we got the label after we got the label deal afterwards so that we can put it out, but <laughs> we're not under any imperative. Did
2: you think about your first concert that you ever went to, Nigel?
3: Yeah, no, I know. It was um I went to see Susie in the Banshees
2: oh, in nineteen
3: eighty five no. or something like that. And um it was a famous show because she dislocated her kneecap. It was terrible. The whole thing was brought to an early end uh, because she turned in the middle of Happy House and like dislocated her patella. Really painful and was in absolute agony and carried off stage and they had to end the concert early. But um, <clears throat> I was such a fan of that band and uh, you know that was quite a quite a big night for me. Hammersmith Odeon.
2: Seeing somebody like Susie perform, uh, yeah. that is potentially very life-changing. But how did you, oh, yeah. as you don't call yourself a performer, and you do have many hats, but then going from a producer for you know a lot of Radiohead albums to being then on stage, what did you draw from, and then also with Laura and Joey, what did you draw from to be able to perform? How did you get into that set of like, right... This is what this is the new you know this is what I'm going to have to do now.
3: I guess I'm not I don't come from a sort of theatrical standpoint so I'm not thinking of presenting myself like the essentially the opposite to what Laura was just saying I don't. Right, right. You know I'm not doing costume changes I'm just uh, it's more like about actually just playing whatever instrument or playing whatever thing I'm doing is so that's probably more rooted in just early experiences in bands when I used to play when I was younger uh and just when you spend a lot of time playing music with other people and it's not it's not it's more just uh of the kind of um philosophy of expressing yourself through playing your instrument rather than putting on a show so i'm never like i don't engage with the audience basically i suppose that's what i'm saying when I'm playing, I'm just engaging with my instrument and you can watch.
2: But do you enjoy it? Like, is that something love that it, you yeah. enjoy? Yeah.
3: No, it's great. I love it. And I don't think I could have done it as a younger person. I think it's definitely, we, we change as we as we age and I feel much more comfortable now. Yeah, definitely. I feel more comfortable in stage. Yeah, I know I do. Yeah, for
4: sure. Certainly, I'm not sure if it's specific to stage, but I think you can apply it to in all aspects of life you obviously do become way more confident as you get older because you've had more experiences and you see certain scenarios happening again and then you suddenly oh i've seen this before i know how to handle this you know so like absolutely i'm more comfortable in my 30s than i was in my teens or 20s um it's probably a little bit less conscious self-conscious in my no actually that's not true no no i wasn't less conscious on stage uh, in my twenties, uh or or more conscious, self conscious now on stage. It's just uh you know yourself better, you know. I know myself better now than I did. I mean, I was twenty twenty when I met Nigel. I was twenty years old. Wow. And I was utterly fearless because I had nothing to lose and Right, exactly. You know, I was like, I had you know this is I was just starting my like steps my into the industry and, and onto like the musical my musical career. So you know I was um completely almost you know a blank slate but also very fearless and i knew this was something i was going to do i've never ever had any doubt like when i was growing up that i was going to do another job i just knew i would make money being myself didn't know that was going to be music it could have been art it could have been anything i just you know i never even considered that oh maybe i should go that path (laughs) yeah and do that i don't know i just always knew that i would just uh Do me somehow. And um, thankfully that's worked out so far. I mean, ask me again after this coronavirus uh, fucking crisis. Don't say that. Maybe I won't, but let's see. Mm.
2: Do you, you, are there things that you both won't take for granted um, now after everything that's happened i don't know how long either of you have been self-quarantining i've been like since the beginning of march i've been self-quarantining oh
3: my gosh is there
2: anything that you now that you both know you won't take for granted
4: everything yeah smiling at people in the supermarket
2: (laughs) i mean i don't know if you've been to the
4: supermarket recently but oh my god it's getting a bit aggro isn't it yeah sketchy (laughs) Um so yeah, just being getting nicer. in the hot
3: tub with all my friends.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um I don't know, nothing. I don't think anybody sensitive. will ever
3: do that again, will they?
2: Get into a hot, hot tub t- with different every- foam party. With parties, like ten yeah. people, yeah. Oh Jesus, yeah, what? That was,
4: That's one of my earliest memories of going to a club is a phone party in New as a sixteen-year-old. I definitely shouldn't have been in there and I got in with a fake ID and it was one of the most surreal, awful experiences of my whole entire life.
2: Oh, I hate that I had the same experience, but I'm. I'm I think
4: I every teenage girl has a, a weird experience of a phone party and. A what phone party?
3: A fo- wait, well, I don't even wait, know Nigel,
2: what that did is. Did not have a p- phone party? It's no, literally... I think
3: I missed out on this. I should be
4: going. To he everyone, was too busy obviously. making hit records as
2: a teenager. Oh, that's true. <laughs> How do either of you find music now? What is your like? What What are your tips? Like, how do you find the music that is inspiring you right now or or able to influence you?
4: I'm DJing loads more. So I get sent a lot of, like, promos from little labels, big labels, and Beatport and TrackSource and Juno Download and places like that. Um, And largely, I'm just listening to, say, club tunes and dance music. Um, I very, very rarely find myself sitting down trying to find new music that I don't already know exists, you know. Like I've been li- I've been listening to the Caribou album this week, Aww. but I knew he exists. You know, he wasn't a new artist to me, and I knew he hadn't had that new album out. So, it's so you know, good. I, I, I very yeah I very rarely find myself wanting to find new music just for fun because it's your day job, you know. Like making music, like it's, it's our day job. I listen to music all day. I make it, and if I'm not making it, I'm trying to find other tracks to play in sets. So, like very rarely do I. If I do get the moment to sit down and listen to music in the background, it's usually stuff I'm already familiar with. I always find it so hard to describe the music, like ultra star, like what genre it sits in, you know. And I think that's what makes it quite special to to people and to fans, you know, the, the cult, <laughs> small amount of fans that we have. Um, they you have they a love lot that of fans. about. No, but they love that about it, you know, that it is yes. so different. It doesn't really sound like anything. You can hear lots of different influences in it, but you really can't put it in one specific box. Mm. But unfortunately, that might not help us in terms of the <laughs> the environment that we're releasing it in because mm. the the platforms do favour certain music that ticks certain boxes, you know, mm. that works for the algorithm. So we find ourselves in a unique space, and um, I won't bemoan that space. I think it's a, like a great space to be in. But it's uh, not, you know, it's got its, its pros and its cons, definitely, of not being able to, you know, fit into one specific genre.
2: Sure, because there's always misconceptions. Like when you say Afrobeat, when that is attached to a genre, it's very, you know, it's hard to move around that completely. And electronic is it's such a wide like to say something is electronic is also mm. such a wide scope. Shoot. Yeah. But I suppose what do you both want to bring from those two genres that we named out to the world. like why why is that important that in, in terms of the way that you connect to it?
4: The rhythm is undoubtedly like the driving force behind this project like you know the first demos that night pieces of music that nigel ever played me it was just drum beat and bass lines you know um and that has always been just like the fundamental kind of driving force behind a lot of the music is the rhythm um so i guess that's where that comes from and then you know you i think that's one of the great things about altruista it has a very like those synth sounds and and the and the space that the voice sits in it has a very specific like sound world sonic like we've basically been able to create a little sonic signature which i think is quite unique to this um project and uh, and it is quite electronic but then at the same time the rhythm a lot of the rhythm stuff is very organic so it's like is this electronica is it like indie music Is alternate you know it's quite alternative but it's not like your alternative, it's definitely not a rock band. I hate it when I see it described as a rock band. And a lot of people do describe it as a rock band.
2: What is something that either of you have learned about one another, working with one another, like in this process? You can send
3: Laura a picture of any dog and she can tell you it's <laughs> genetic makeup.
2: <laughs> well, That's my, true. No, I'm not, I'm gonna send you my dog. That's its gonna okay. happen. Yeah, she can do. I'll have do a good it. guest. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like a genetic? Me- but I mean, it's a rescue. How do you do that? She- She's oh, no, I just, I'm just really it, good it. at knowing my breeds. That's all. Like, I have Are a you? like one of
4: the first books that I would like I covered as a kid was like a massive book on dog breeds, and I read this. You know, the thing was like tattered and like completely fucked by the time yeah. I finished with it. But like that, you know, I. Uh, I devoured that book on the dog breeds for some strange reason. And so there you go. That's that's my mastermind subject. I'll,
2: I'll, send, I'll send that to you. So wait, so Nigel, you learned that Laura has a sixth sense with dogs. Yes.
4: She's
3: yeah, very quiet good. about it, but it, 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 she <laughs> she head. exposed, she came <laughs> out eventually.
4: <laughs> and I learned that Nigel has a big soft spot for a cockapoo.
3: So <laughs> there you go. Damn. That's- Kind
2: of and also he <laughs> yeah. can walk backwards very well
3: there is a sort of way that you have to walk with the gimbal actually, which is He's like, very
4: like
2: nimble it. with a gimbal <laughs> <you>? oh, <God. laughs> that's going to be the headline <laughs> to this
3: nimble with a gimbal yeah.
2: <laughs> this must be the gig is produced by Adam Kibble we'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music as well as the Consequence Podcast Network Miss you
1: Consequence Podcast Network.